But again, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 1. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, and that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the gate posts of thy house, and on thy gates. And that, starting with verse 4, uh, ending at that last verse, is part of the prayer which Jews pray morning and evening. The Shema. Last Tuesday at sundown, the biblical holiday of the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, began. And Jews around the world celebrated that the feast from sundown on last Tuesday. It's also called, or they also call it Shavuot. And if you go back to, or forward actually, to Deuteronomy chapter 19, you'll read a few verses there relating to this feast that the Jews had this week. Chapter 16 and verse 9. Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee. Begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a freewill offering of thine hand, and so on. See what it says? Thou shalt seven weeks thou shalt number unto thee begin to number the seven weeks from the such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn they have two harvests in Israel a spring harvest and an autumn harvest and we're talking now about the spring harvest and if you go back then to Leviticus Genesis Exodus Leviticus chapter 23 you have the same feast described once again 
Leviticus 23 and verse 15 and ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering count seven Sabbaths shall be complete even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord the feast of Passover came and on the Sabbath after the last Sabbath of the feast of Passover on the next day the day after the Sabbath of Passover we have a feast which was called the feast of first fruits and that was the day when at sunrise the high priest went out into the valley of Kedron and he cut a symbolic sheaf of corn just as it was coming out of the ground an omer the first fruit of the future harvest and that was then presented in the temple as what they called a wave offering and from that day they counted 50 days forward to Pentecost you know when the priest went out into the valley of Kedron and cut that symbolic piece of corn or whatever the the, the crop was at that same time the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he became the first fruit of the resurrection and he at that time after the crucifixion he was rising from the dead and he was presenting himself in the temple of God in heaven and you have that verse in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept as the priest was in the literally in the valley of Kedron cutting that sheaf and presenting it to the temple to the Lord in the temple the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and become the first fruits pointing to the harvest that was going to take place the harvest of souls in the world and we are the fruit of that harvest that Jesus Christ started when he rose from the dead and 50 days later from that particular day from the feast of first fruits they counted 50 days 7 weeks, 7 sevens of 49 and the 50th day it came about the feast of weeks Pentecost the first harvest was celebrated they had commenced cutting the harvest and it finished at Pentecost and it was a joyous happy occasion and today the churches are celebrating Pentecost all the feasts in the Old Testament had types 
of what was going to happen in the church. Pentecost in the Old Covenant foreshadows the coming of the Holy Spirit in the church and the harvest of souls. And you know, this was a very important agricultural feast as far as the Jews were concerned. But they also, at this particular time, they celebrate the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. As well as being the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, they also celebrate Moses being given the law and the law being given to the children of Israel. And that fits in very well with what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. The people had said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The giving of the law on Mount Sinai was perhaps one of the most singular important events in Jewish history. The people said, we will do it and we will listen. You notice that it says in scripture that the law was given by Moses, given by God. We have been given God's word. But sadly the Jews did not receive the law entirely. They said they would, but they didn't act on it. We have been given the word of God. But we have to receive it into our own lives and into our own hearts. The law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We have to act upon it. We have received it. It's been given. But have we received it into our hearts and into our innermost beings? You know, generally, humanity wants to understand everything before doing it. The great declaration of faith which the people made to obey God but they didn't keep it. I was listening to the Sunday program and David Suchet was being interviewed and he said that for about 20 years ago he made a commitment but it was a shallow commitment obviously and he had to work things out in his mind and he says last year he really dedicated himself to Christ and now he prays about everything before he takes on another a play or anything he'll, he'll pray about it he had worked it out in his mind you see what God says is paramount to each one of us He's under no obligation to explain anything to us. We are his creation. But he does. He has given us his word. He does teach us his ways. And reveals his way. And he did to his beloved people. The children of Israel. The psalmist could pray, teach me thy way, O Lord. Show me thy paths. 
for Israel's part, all they had to do was to obey God. In Micah 6 and verse 8, we have that well-known verse, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. If we walk humbly with God, we will want to obey him and serve him. For us to walk humbly with him is to embrace his will in childlike faith, like an obedient servant, and then proceed to learn as we grow in the deeper meaning behind what is meant by walking in faith and living in the Spirit. We're servants. Paul constantly said he was a bond slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when you get somebody new into an office, a new secretary or a new, a new worker in your, in, your, in your job, they don't know what you want. They don't know the standard you require. And you have to train them. And that servant has to be trained to understand what the senior person wants of them. And after a while, that servant knows what is expected of him. And he knows you don't always have to be telling him what he has to do. Because he knows the character of the boss. The Bible talks about being a handmaid. By handmaid. And a handmaid is, is, is someone who, who worked for her, her mistress and knew by the indication, I believe, of just a, a slightest indication of her mistress's hand that she knew what her mistress wanted her to do. And that's why we should be attuned to what the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do, what God wants us to do with our lives. That even the slightest inclination, the slightest nudge from him, we should be ready to do it and willing to do it. We're servants. You know, we must remember, these, these people, the Israelites, had just come through the wilderness experience. And we're excited now about proceeding further into this promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They had for 40 years traversed that wilderness backwards and forwards, round in circles. The wilderness was not their final goal, but it was here in the wilderness that they entered into a covenant with God and thereby became his people. Around the Israelites were idolaters and that's why God has emphasize so often in what we have been studying in the last few weeks to keep themselves away from idols these people around them had to see their gods in order to identify with those gods they had to see them physically in the form of an idol we still have that today you go around to these foreign countries they have their idols people need to see Shusei said on the radio that he just remarked, he said that Jesus said blessed are those who believe without seeing. He said he felt at one stage he's more like Thomas he had to see things. 
but he says God explained and showed him that they had to live by faith the Israelites had to realize that they had to listen to God to understand what his word was they had to obey the word of the Lord to obey the one who reveals himself through his word the way it is with us. God has revealed himself. Jesus Christ came in the flesh but he has ascended up on high and now he reveals himself to us through his spirit, through his word. My word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe Jesus said. We who have come to know our Saviour realise that this world is not our goal. This world is not my goal. I know some people live in this world as if it was the final end. But it's not our goal. We are just passing through. The Israelites were just passing through the wilderness. We traverse it, but we have no home here. Our citizenship is in heaven. We gain nothing from the wilderness. There's nothing in this world to satisfy the Christian. We should live in it. We have to live in it. But we should be insulated from it. And from all its ways and its systems. They should have no influence on my life as a Christian. We must learn to listen to the word of God as the only guide through this wilderness the wilderness is desert and what's in a desert sand sand plenty of sand the Hebrew word for holy is a word called kadosh my pronunciation of Hebrew I'm sure would make a Hebrew scholar uh, scream but that's roughly the, the pronunciation. The opposite of holy is another word called C-H-O-L, call, which literally means sand. So you have something which is holy, and the opposite is not unholy. The opposite is sand. Sand is everything that is not holy. Sand blows this way and that, never stable, never rooted in the one place, not capable of sustaining life. And this is a picture of the world. This world is sand. See, we as Christians are told to be fruitful, rooted and grounded in truth and love, rooted in the doctrines of the Apostles. We cannot be rooted in sand if we are to be fruitful to God. The picture is God is a rock. God is rock. Immovable. The opposite of sand. Do you get the picture? They were in a situation where there was sand. We are in a situation in this world living in a desert, in sand. We cannot be rooted in sand. 
we have to be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ let our roots go down deep into his word and draw up sustenance for our daily lives his word is like water we're told those who heed it are like a tree growing by the riverside that verse those verses in Psalm 1 how wonderful the person who believes who trusts in God in, in, in Psalm 1 blessed is the man who walketh not in the ways of the ungodly who doesn't walk in the sand he shall be like a tree his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night meditating on the word of God he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf shall not wither he is evergreen and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper because he's not putting his roots down into the sand Moses sang at the end of his life that wonderful song let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew like showers on new grass like abundant rain on tender plants I will proclaim the name of the Lord oh praise the greatness of our God he is the rock his works are perfect God is the rock everything else is sand then we go on to back down to Deuteronomy again and this verse we, we studied the verse 4 last week that the Lord here or Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and then we come to what is a very well known verse and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might you know nowadays the word love has been used and abused to encompass all kinds of things including those practices which are an abomination to God when we are told to love the Lord is it the same kind of love that we are familiar with only just now directed to God rather than something else we stop and think we see it is not so it shouldn't be so in any case reading something a person says they love fish does he really love fish if so why does he kill it cook it and then eat it the obvious answer is that when one says he loves fish or other things for that matter he really loves himself and how the fish or other things give him pleasure selfish self-directed love and most of the love that people talk about today in this world is selfish self-directed love people love themselves when we love the Lord we do not we do it not because of the benefit we derive although we do God is gracious to us 
But because he is so great and so kind and so merciful. And because he loves us more than anything else in this world. We are therefore commanded to love the Lord with all our hearts and souls and might. You know there's a great passage in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read nearly the whole chapter. And I'm reading it in the American Standard Bible. 1 John 4. Just listen to it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. What he's saying is that lots of people out telling you various things. Test them. Try them. See if they line up with what scripture says. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children. And have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world that's a wonderful verse they are from the world therefore they speak as from the world and the world listens to them we are from God he who knows God listens to us he who is not from God does not listen to us by this we know the spirit of truth And the spirit of error. Beloved. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God. And knows God. The one who does not love. Does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God. Was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son. Into the world. So that we might live. Through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love him because he first loved us. Isn't that wonderful? 
we should love God with all our heart. Unless we know him personally, we cannot love him with all our heart, our soul and our might. That's the secret. You know, teenagers talk these days about falling in love with actors and film stars and and, uh, football players and all the rest of it. But you know, they don't love them. To truly love anyone, you must first get to know them personally. It is only when we see our Heavenly Father and His Son in all their glory, when God's Holy Spirit reveals that to us, then and then only is it spiritually possible for us to love God in any way. You know, it's interesting actually, when our Lord Jesus was speaking in Mark, and he'd been quizzed by one of the scribes, the Lord added something to this particular verse. It says there, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. But in Mark, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. In the new covenant, the mind has a most important place. We read those verses, I think, last week in Romans 1, when it said, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those who have sinned grievously are without excuse, it says, because they're, they're there. God has revealed certain things to them. But then it says, And even they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Minds void of moral discernment. God has handed them over. But as a result of the new birth, man receives an exercised mind. Romans 7.25 I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. An exercised mind. Our minds are brought into, into action by the new birth. We have a renewed mind. Paul speaking again in Romans 12 he says be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. But be ye transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our minds have to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Be renewed, it says in Ephesians, in the spirit of your mind. And it says... We need to have a well-directed mind. Set your affection, set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. We need to have a mind which is directed towards the heavenlies. And not looking around at the things of the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And then, 
we need a Christ-like mind. Oh, that we have the mind of Christ constantly with us. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. A humble, Christ-like mind. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To have a mind, the mind of Christ, a humble Christ-like mind. He came down from glory and took upon him the form of a servant. That's the kind of mind he wants us to have. What did he say in Luke? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Oh, that we could love God like that. When we think what Jesus Christ has done for us, we love him because he first loved us.